When old friends get together, the words, do you remember, are often heard. Old stories, old experiences, and old lessons are revisited. Is that not the essence, really, of history itself? When an individual begins to forget, someone you know, it's bad. Such as in the case when, you know, old age brings in the specter of dementia, Alzheimer's, that type of thing. Family and friends are usually devastated. It's bad when a person loses touch with the past, when the important things are forgotten. What about a society? What if an entire culture loses touch with its roots? Is it devastating? Do bad things follow? Well, we'll see if we can answer this question. So grab a coffee, take your seat by the fire of the enemy patrol. You have found the frequency of the enemy patrol podcast. Please stand by for new directions. Over. All right, welcome to the fire of the enemy patrol. I am the Anomic Ranger, your very own reality scout. And as your scout, I give you information that you can use as you move ahead in this adventure called life. And you're the general in this campaign. I'm just the scout. You have to make the decisions. I just give you the lay of the land. You can use my reports or don't. I just tell you what I see. If you want to know more, well, you can subscribe so that you don't uh, miss a report from the enemy patrol. You can also take a look at my website, anomicranger.com. And if you want to send me an email, you can do so on the contact portion of my website, or you can send me an email direct to enemypatrolhq at yahoo.com. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, or maybe some of the things I write, because I do do some writing on on uh, Anomic Ranger, um, the most important thing you do is maybe share with a friend. But you can subscribe, or you can comment on there. If you go on my website, you have to uh, register to comment. It's just my curmudgeonly way of um, trying to keep spam and stuff off there. I don't... I don't have a big list. I don't uh, sell it or anything like that. But yeah, if you put your name down on there. And I do also have, although I don't use it very much, I you can put your email in there. And maybe every once in a while, I'm, I was mostly put it in there in case the site went down. And I could email um, people who listen to me or read my stuff regularly and let them know that my site was down, something like that. Anyway... This is season one, episode number 10. And season one, I called it Scouting the Decline. And I usually break down this season one into three parts. The veneration of the normal man. Number two, the lies found in our society. And number three, some practical steps to increase your personal agency and help you think more independently, or at least 
think differently. Now, season one, episode 10, I gave it the title of A Beginner's Guide to the War in the Fourth Dimension. I'll get into that a little more later. Anyway, let's uh, move right along here in the veneration of the normal man and this concept. Well, I, I called it war in the fourth dimension. I said I'd get into it later, but I guess I got to get into it right now because, I mean, I'm, what I'm talking about is history. I'm talking about looking into the past and the necessity of knowing your roots and how crucial that is to the normal man. You see, people, there is a war going on right now. You're at this fire. Maybe you're wondering about some of the things that are going on because yeah it's it's getting pretty crazy and you know in the past i've i've done these i've put them in the can but um it's caught right up here now so i'm basically doing these and pumping them out as fast as i can which is not a very high rate um <clears throat> i usually write something once a week and try and do these podcasts once a week and that is about all that i can handle uh Something put out once a week is about all of that I can do. You'll, you'll be able to figure that out if you go on the website and have a look. But anyway, there's a war going on for the hearts and minds of this civilization. All this pulling down of statues and mask wearing and this and that and something else. And, you know, it's easy to, to just brush away this whole thing of, you know, uh, cancel culture and pulling down statues and I mean in essence it's burning books it's it's like the, those that pretend to fight the Nazis they're becoming more like Nazis every day um, most folks don't realize how dangerous this is um, we're not talking about danger as in oh my goodness I'm gonna die in the next moment I'm talking about the danger of slowly over time I mean this is and, and you can see how this whole thing is, is it's like a wearing thing it's like a tire Suppose you're in a traffic accident and and um, you hit another car and then the fender's kind of bent down on your tire and while it's not rubbing really bad, you'll try and drive it to the garage. Well, it doesn't take very long. The rubber heats up and it just rub, 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 rub and pretty soon you don't have a tire. That's kind of the way it's going here now. And I want to point you in the direction that this is dangerous when people start trying to erase history. Because the people that are cut off from their roots are defeated people. It throws the sense of being who you are off. It takes people off their guard. I mean, defeating people is one thing, but keeping a people defeated is hard. Mankind has been warring with one another and, and enslaving one another since the beginning. I mean, for the earliest stories. This has been going on a long time. And... Everybody knows, if you read history, if you look into it, that beating an enemy is one thing. It's one thing to defeat his soldiers on a field of battle. You win a decisive victory and you knock them down and the leader has to come in and give over his weapons and whatever, whatever, whatever. 
but it's another thing to keep a people defeated. I mean, let's look at history before we even talk about history. Let's talk about a little piece of history. The Assyrian Empire, way back when, we're talking biblical times. They had to learn that when they conquered a people, they would go in, they would take their armies, and they would defeat another army of a group. And they trounced them in battle. And then what they would do is they would go back to wherever these soldiers came from, their home country, their nation state, I guess you'll call it. And they rounded everybody up. I mean, people that were men that were, you know, of military age were probably killed or enslaved. And everybody else, once they removed the women and the children that they wanted and the old people were slaughtered because they couldn't obviously make the trip, everybody was rounded up with whatever goods they could take and they were trucked off of their land. I mean, just rooted up, just like pulling a plant out. And they were moved over to another piece of land and they were dug in and they tell them, okay, raise your crops, you know, there's some wells here, there's some trees here, there's orchards, there's whatever, this is where you live now, and you can't live anywhere else, you can't go back to where you came from. Of course, that left some empty land back where they had pulled those people out of, so then the next army they conquered, and the next people they conquered, they would move those people in. The idea was you just keep ripping people up by the roots, you would move them to a place they didn't know. They didn't know the weather. They didn't know the mountains. They didn't know the the culture of, of the area. It was just like, well, they just, they couldn't root in. They were dug up from their roots. And this goes on and on and on all throughout history. I mean, even look at the slavery that was practiced in much of the southern states. And I'm going to keep mentioning the slavery in the southern states because... United, southern United States, because, well, that seems to be a huge topic of conversation right now um, with the whole Black Lives Matter thing. But, And this wasn't all slavers didn't practice this, but there was a very cruel, nasty way of, I mean, I guess if you got, if you got the manual on how to be a good slaver, you would uh, do things like you would break families up, like, Okay, you'd let the slaves marry because you wanted them to have kids, more kids, more slaves, right? But then you would take and break those families up and you would send one part of the family one direction and the other part of the family another direction. And there was a lot of people, and I've read, you know, accounts of this, that while you can't keep families of slaves too long on your plantation or they'll think they own the place. In other words, they think of it as home. So you just keep ripping them up and moving them around because they were petrified. In the southern states, they were just petrified of a slave uprising. So they would break up families and move slaves around. It was a method of control. It's a method of mind control is what it is. Because if you keep ripping people up and you keep moving them around and, and you, you don't ever let them get balanced, you don't ever let them get feeling like they have their feet on solid ground, well, then they're more easily defeated people. So it's easy to talk about these theories and ideas from the past. But how does this apply to what we're dealing with right now? Why do you think these Marxists, these neo-Marxists, these whether they call themselves Antifa or BLM or whatever banner they're flying, they're Marxists. Why are they tearing down statues? Why are they trying to rewrite the history? What's the point of that? And it's very easy for 
you know, a normal person, I'll call it, because that's what this is. This is the veneration of the normal man. Well, Mr. Normal Man, why are they doing this? Are they all just crazy? Because, you know, to be normal is not an excuse to be ignorant. Nor is it an excuse to be complacent. Nor is it an excuse to be apathetic. You know, just go back to your couch and your sports and your Doritos and your pizza and say, oh, those guys are all just crazy. No, it doesn't work that way. You want to be normal. You want to be a normal person. You want to raise a normal family. You want to find your place in this world to just live. Well, that means you have to stay stay vigilant. The right to be normal is always a fight. Even the definition of being normal is constantly moving around. Everybody's taking pot shots at it all the time. But most people, 80% of people, just want all the same thing. And that's what this podcast and my blog and everything is about, is about being a normal person. Just You just want to work your job. You just want to... Life is hard enough, right? Life is hard enough just raising kids and getting enough income and finding a place to live and something to eat and trying to make it all go around. But that doesn't... That does, that's not an excuse because there are people that they want to change that. That's what we're talking about today. You know, I seen something the other day. It was um, it was a YouTube video, and it, it's it's common. You see them all the time on there. It's it's the old anecdote of interviewing the the quote unquote American on the street, right? And they go up and ask him a question. And this one was, uh, it was done on the 4th of July. And it was like, what year was the Declaration of Independence signed? And what does July 4th signify? What, what's the holiday all about? And, and you get some answers that are just unbelievable. I mean, I'm a Canadian. And I can answer most of those questions because it, it's pretty common history. But it's unbelievable the amount of people that go, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, uh... Uh, July 4th, it's like, I don't know, it's like Flag Day. And, well, you know, when when was the Declaration of Independence signed? Because they'd say, well, that's, we're, we're celebrating the Declaration of Independence. When was it signed? And there was actually people that said something like, huh, uh, I don't know, 1964? And it was in the 80s, wasn't it? 1980-something? Well, now, I don't put much... I don't put much credence on this stuff because, I mean, you could go out and you could, you know, interview with 100 people and you could find five that were completely clueless. They wouldn't even, you could ask them, do you know where you parked your car? Well, <laughs> I have no idea where I parked my car. I'm totally lost. But uh, there were some of them, and these are the ones that shocked me. They said they were teachers. There was, there was two women, both of them were teachers, and they were out together on the beach celebrating or whatever. And it's like, what, what does the July 4th? Well, it's American independence. Well, what year was the declaration of independence signed? And they didn't know teachers and they didn't know what year I'm a Canadian. I know it was 1776, even though some will argue, well, it wasn't really signed, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, normally most people know that 1776 was the signing of the, American Declaration of Independence. But anyway, 
they didn't know. They didn't have a clue. And one even stated, well, I don't teach the curriculum. I teach about racial understanding and, and listed all the all the crap that's been rolling down the hill in the last 10 years. And it just, it kind of blew me away. Wow, that's, that is really stupid about history. Because, you know, to actually be wise in this world, one, one, one has to work within the realm of the fourth dimension. That's what I like to call it, the fourth dimension. By that, I mean time. And since no one knows the future, I guess we're talking about the, pra- the, the past, presently. Uh, hey, I kind of like that. We're talking about time and no one knows the future. So we're talking about the past presently. Interesting. Anyway, I know I'm not prob- I'm probably not mathematically correct um, when I'm talking about the fourth dimension. I'm sure the fourth dimension is something else. But um, I used to use this when, when I would teach young people. There was a few times I got to teach uh, young people in Sunday school classes and different things like that. And I used to kind of use that as a warm up and say, hey, do you want to do you want to work in the fourth dimension for a while? Of course, which I meant time. Like I said, mathematically, I'm sure somebody will tell me that the fourth dimension is not time. But anyway, I like to use that. And, you know, if a person studies the past enough, since that's the only part of time that we can look at, I mean, we can look at the present but other than that, all we got is the past because the future is, well, it's dark. We don't know. We're moving into it all the time. But, you know, if you study the past enough and you study history enough and you make some connections to the present, there is a glimmer of the rhyming future that can sometimes be spotted. You know, they say that, you know, some people say, well, history repeats itself. It doesn't really repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes or it echoes. And there's times when you, if you look at history enough and then you look at the present, you can get a glimmer of what the future might look like. Anyway, here are some thoughts on this. First one is a question. Is history without mythology? And this one is going to eventually work into our second section, which is the lies found in society. But this idea that, well, when you study history, it's, it's mythology. It's like so much of it is, you know, it's history that's turned into a concept, a story, and it's beyond the fact. You know, let me give an example. I was watching something the other day and they were it was a YouTube video and it was talking about the southern United States. See, I told you we'd get back to the southern United States, but the southern United States story of what happened, the whole rebellion and secession and all that and 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 so he called it the lost cause mythology. And then he went on to talk about how the lost cause mythology started working its way up about 50 years after the war was over. And, and it involved, you know, well, the men weren't really fighting for slavery. And he went through, and he actually made a pretty good case for how this was just the, it was the lost cause mythology and how it worked all the way up into early Hollywood with Gone with the Wind and the whole thing. 
And he went on and on. And, you know, he, he almost had me a little bit convinced that, hey, you know, this, this history is what, what we think we know of it, that it wasn't about just, you know, hating slaves and enslaving them and, you know, white versus black and all that. He almost had me convinced on that. And then he talked about the other mythology that was brought in that was also false, that was played up for understanding the whole United States, and that was the westward push mythology. And I thought, okay, dude, like you're going through all this stuff and everything is a mythology. So what does that leave behind? Well, he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't disappoint. I mean, everything was the whole Southerner. That was all racial. The whole Westward push. That was all racial. It was racial, 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 racial. And I went, oh, I mean, uh, I'll take my history. However I can get it. I will read anybody, but where does this stop? When, when, when do facts just stay facts? And how do you tell the story? I mean, really, when it comes right down to it in the end, I mean, the facts have to stay facts. The, the year something happened has to stay the year something happened. And, and the, <clears throat> the people involved have to be the people involved. You can't distort actual facts. But when you tell the story, the telling of the story has to be free. You can't lie about the figures or the places or the times. But every common man has to have his heroes. He has to have his ideas. He has to have his mythologies. I mean, the, the leftists do. They have their heroes and their mythologies. And then we get into the whole idea of archetypes, the archetypical story. And I'm talking about a la Jordan Peterson here. Dr. Jordan Peterson likes to talk about archetypes. He likes to read the Bible. And, well, you don't have to take it literally. You just, you just, this is his idea of it is you just, well, you look at the story and I mean, it's archetypical. It doesn't really matter that it, you know, whether it happened back then or not, it happens over and over and over and over and over again. So, yeah, the whole concept of history is just mythology. That's just wrong. It has to be done that way. There is no history that's not told as not a mythology from one vantage point or another. Okay, <clears throat> the second one. History is just written by the victors. In other words, the ones who win are the ones who write the history, and they write the history as however they want to. And this is, not, again, not quite true. Because, again, I'll talk about the southern United States. They lost the war, but they... they Maybe they have wrapped themselves in some mythology of what it was all about. And there's some truth to, you know, the most of the men who fought and died, there was like what, in, on both sides, it was like 650,000 men died, most of them white, to try and, you know, solve the question. So the whole, whether you mix in that most of the men weren't slave owners and, and the whole idea of states' rights, and I'm sure it was a mix. And that's what you find with a lot of history. There's, you can't mythologize too much and you can't take too much of one side because it always is a mix, but it's in that mix that you get a little bit smarter about how people deal with one another. And, I mean, does it really matter if the victor writes this story? I mean, look at the history of, and I'm talking about the United States and Canada and, and even down into South America. You read the history of the indigenous peoples of the world and... Yes, a lot of history is written from one side, you know, it's the whole, the people come from Europe and their, their technology and way of life is 
well, it's more efficient and it's better. And so, of course, they take over. And nobody can read that history, even written all the way they want on one end. And you can't, the most people will think in their mind that the indigenous peoples got a bit of a raw deal. But I don't think, you know, doing something like changing the names of a sports team or, or taking the history books and like burning them in a big pile and pulling down every statue, it's not going to change anything. Because they'll just rewrite history that, well, then everybody that, that ever conquered is bad. In which case, pretty much mankind is bad. Because as much as they want to talk about the noble savage and, and how great the indigenous peoples were, I'm sorry, but they were all warring with one another. I mean, it was a constant case of conquest and battle and raping and pillaging and pushing people out and killing and just... The Europeans just had a leg up because they had a bigger organization and they had they had uh, better technology. So history... Even if it's been mythologized, you can always read between the lines. So getting rid of history is, you know, the whole concept, getting rid of a certain history and rewriting it again is stupid. I mean, you can rewrite something, but if you try and then rewrite history and burn the other history, no, I mean, you can have competing histories. That's what makes it fun. Which leads us to number three. <coughs> Excuse me. Number three is, well, history is just a boring bunch of names and dates. Nope, it's not. There's nothing boring about history. It's us. It's who we are. And it's been made boring on purpose. I'm sorry, but in school, especially public schools, history was made boring. No, I don't know. I say on purpose like it's bunch of men sat down at a table and decided let's make history boring so the kids don't learn it no just bad teachers bad curriculums and the idea that well they got to learn it let's make it like medicine maybe i don't know but for some reason history was made boring in school but in the in the end it comes down to there's only bad storytellers which brings us back to the important of maybe mixing a little bit of, uh, I, don't, I don't know about mythology, I'm not saying you put stuff in that isn't there, but still, when you're telling a story, when you're telling a story of a people or things that have been done, I mean, you got to make it interesting, right? So, what to learn from history? What's our next point? What do we need to learn? Well, history is a story of people doing things. That sounds kind of a little poofy and soft, but really it's one of the most important repositories of human information that we have because we have a history of repeating ourselves. A lot of it's bad, at least at the, you know, command control section of history. But at the core of history, there is great truth that can come out. You can learn so much, even though you're reading a story about one thing. It's almost like you can learn into the, you can look into the hearts of men when it comes right down to it. So what are some of the biggest lessons that we can 
get from history? Well, the biggest lesson I think is learning from our mistakes. You look at history, you read history, and you can see a lot of the same mistakes made over and over and over again. And a lot of it revolves around pride and, and, and blind belief in greatness, things like that. How many times did not certain lessons, whether you want to call them biblical lessons or you just want to call them the gods of the copybook headings, studying history is, well, I should say not studying history makes a person blind in their thinking. Blind in their thinking, you may as well just say stupid. Not studying history makes you stupid. And we can see this in this new push towards this old, failed, blood-drenched system called Marxism. And we're just wandering right back into that one. I know I'm going down a rabbit trail here, but you know, the turds of the utopian daydream of Marxism, they just won't flush. Now they're all covered in glitter and sparkles and newness by the youthful enthusiasm of tearing it all down and building utopia because they're sure it's going to work this time. Like a hundred years wasn't enough and that many dead wasn't enough. Must we repeat this again? Ah, anyway, I got to take a kick at that dog every time I walk by. So... Here's a question. What do we not learn from history? What are some of the things that history is being used for now that you shouldn't learn? Well, just thinking about it here, there's probably about like three things I'm thinking. Like blame. You can't start blaming from history. I mean, you can find some clues in history to explain the way things are and how they've turned out in some situations. But you personally can't hang your problems on the mistakes of long dead people. And, you know, you see that so much right now. And I, I, Okay, I'm going to avoid going down the Marxist trail here. No, we won't do it. Not this time. I, I'm thinking it's going to keep coming back. Well, I know it's going to keep coming back because we're going to get into the lies of society and we're just going to just jump right into it with both feet. But... I just keep straying back toward it. But yeah, the mistakes of long dead people pulling down statues of people because, well, they did this way back when. I mean, you really shouldn't even blame your own parents. I'm talking about history, and that's near history. People that just sit and whine and moan in their own filth and blame their parents. I'm sorry, but at some point, at a certain age, you got to move past it. I mean, you got to move past your parents. I mean, you got to look at them and say, well, they were the worst example that I could have, but at least they're a bad example. If I do everything opposite, everything should be great, right? Another point, change. And when I say I don't mean changing from history, I mean changing history. Like, well, let's go back into the textbooks and let's just cross everybody out that did something bad. And, you know, I mean, it's okay to look different viewpoints of history. That can be educational. But revising history? No. 
no, sorry. It either has to be historically accurate to some degree or forget about it. And by this, I'm bringing up something. It's, it's this 1619 project that the New York Times is doing, and they're pushing it hard, not just the New York Times, but a whole bunch of people. And they're saying, oh, well, what the 1619 project is, is uh, they're going back before 1776, which now you know that the Declaration of Independence was signed. They're saying that the idea of America goes all the way back to 1619 when the first slaves were offloaded on the shores. That's what America's about. It's all about race. No, it's not. Slaves were being unloaded on shores all over the world at the same time. They were being unloaded all over the islands. They were being unloaded in North Africa. And if you don't think white people weren't enslaved and taken to Africa almost as much as African people were enslaved and taken over here, then you don't read history. I mean, the North Africans were slavers long after the United States was a country. I mean that uh, the Marines were almost invented to land on the shores of Tripoli and uh, make the North African slavers pay attention to this new country because American ships were being boarded and men were being enslaved and sold all over the Middle East and North Africa. Slaving is something that's been in our history almost from the beginning, not to the same degree and not in the same methods all the time, but slavery itself has been around a long time. All right, our next point, and I think the last point from what not to learn from history is to judge. And this one is rampant today. Using the sins of historical figures to discredit the present or discredit what everything that they ever said, that's just dumb. And if you follow this method, you're just a pawn in the game to discredit everything in the present in order that someone else will rule over your future. I apologize for the rabbit trails, but I won't guarantee I won't keep going down the old Marxist rabbit trail because that is what they're trying to do. This pulling down of statues and this discrediting people. I mean, it started out, it was just they wanted to get rid of the southern generals, the ones that fought, quote unquote, for slavery. Really what it was, they were fighting for the south and the south was a slave state. So, But they just shortened that down to they were fighting for slavery. Well, they didn't just stop at those. Now they're pulling down all the statues. They want them all down. George Washington, because he kept slaves. But Roosevelt, and there's even some statues of African-American people that were fighting against slavery have been pulled down. So they just want to pull down history. So, yeah, anyway, enough down that rabbit trail. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next part. How, does, how do you study history? Now, I'll just tell you right up front. I am not a historian. I'm not even an amateur historian. I like history because it's real. It happened. And some of it, some of history is beyond fascinating. I mean, people make up stories and write stories all the time, but there's some parts of history that you just give your head a shake and you can't believe that it happened. So the way you study history is pick one time in history that you find intriguing or puzzling. And by that, I mean 
Well, let's just pick one at random. Um, how did Cortez from Spain <coughs> and a handful of, of his conquistadors, how did they bring down the Aztec Empire? I mean, they were outnumbered. I don't know. May as well have been a zillion to one. So how did they bring down the whole empire? How exactly did that happen? Well, that's something you study. And you get right into it then. You start learning about it. You read the stories. And what you do is you put yourself in the place of the characters of whatever history that you're reading. All of them. You can, you can put yourself in the place of one side. You can put yourself in the place of the other. You can put yourself in the place of a leader. You can put yourself in the place of a follower. And just put yourself there. Read the stories from all angles. Check the date. What date of history are you looking at? What else was going on in the world at that time? What was the technology of that era? What did people eat? What did they wear? What was life like? What was a day-to-day -day life like at whatever period of history that you're studying? Start trying to place yourself in the time period. And then it will get more interesting for you. I know in school they you know, this war by this general on this date, and then this guy came here on this date, and then this happened on this date. Don't get too caught up in dates, but you can't just throw them out either. Because you have to understand what time period you're talking about. What was the what was the norms? What was the what was going on at that time? Anyway, and there's always gaps. And especially, you know, certain parts of history that you read about, like if you want to read about, say, the well, say you want to read about the Aztecs. There's not a lot written down. They, they can decipher things from what the conquistadors wrote about. You can decipher things from the architecture and the clothing and, and any pictures or any writings that they have at that time. And you can start filling in some of the gaps, but there will always be gaps. There will be gaps both in details, small little details, and in biases. But that's what studying history is about is realizing that there's gaps and trying to fill them in and trying not to fill them in too much with your imagination. I was watching a, a YouTube video the other day about, uh, it was about the Iron Age in England and somebody had found where there was an Iron Age village and they deciphered everything from, well, basically the foundations of these roundhouses that they built at the time. And they knew the drip line they could find the drip line outside these walls, so they knew roughly how much overhang there was on the walls. So that gave them an idea of the pitch of the roof, things like that. And, of course, they had rebuilt this Iron Age village, and it was a tourist attraction, and go in. And so the guy that was doing the interviewing was saying, like, well, how authentic do you think, like, the interior core is? Like, the decor, core, interior. Yeah, well, the interior core, the decor of the core was. And... Basically, the lady that was interpreting said, well, we have no idea. We, we know that there's more activity in one area than another because we find more things there. And it looks like it had a big open door on this, on this roundhouse. And they found a lot of, you know, like um, flint chips and, and different things that wouldn't rot, uh, beads and, and little tools and stuff that had got lost in the dirt. And they knew it was the doorway because it was the widest point between two points between two posts in this um, waddle and daub wall 
So they figured it was the door and probably people would do activities there because that's where the light was. So anyway, they'd interpreted things just from that about what the decor looked like inside, but they didn't really know. You have to remember when you're studying history that it's a very concentrated brew. Um, you can read about the 30-year war in 30 minutes. But you have to remember that back in those days, back in whatever time period you want to look at it, look, it took a long time to travel. And food was always hard to find. Things like that. It stretched out the time way more than we have now. We have such condensed view of time now. So yes, studying history will give you a richness, it will give you a depth, and it will give you an idea of, how would I put it, how you would, um, how you would look toward history, how you would judge, well, even your own heart. So, uh, there's only so much time to read. Another good way to do it is to um, listen to podcasts. That's what I've been doing the last little while. I don't know. It's been a while since I picked up a book because I'm always having to do something else. And so I listen to podcasts while I'm doing something else and I can get a lot of history. A couple of um, history podcasts that I've really enjoyed. I like to give credit where credit's due. Of course, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I mean, that one's great. I, uh, sometimes it takes hours to get through one small thing, but... By golly, he's really good at what he does. And then there's a Canadian uh, one that I've enjoyed. Uh, there's, I think, dozens of different podcasts. I haven't sampled them all, but one Canadian one is Our Fake History. It's kind of fun. Those are two pod podcasts that I've enjoyed. And there's a lot out there. There's a lot of history to get interested in, but only so much time. And right now we got to move along because we're running out of time and you'll understand some of these rabbit trails that we went down while looking at history as we move toward our next section, the lies found in society. All right, the lies found in society. I like to call it the lie of the day. We take one thing that's just completely a lie and we break it down and we look at it and I usually pose it as a statement or a question. Today is a little different. There's no way to frame it as a statement. So I'll just tell you what it is that's the lie. And it's huge. It's all over the place. It's taught in every university, almost every course. And it's called critical theory. And the very premise of this theory is one giant stinking pile of a lie. Now, I, I didn't even know how to approach this, to be quite honest with you. And so what I did is I just, I copied a definition from Wikipedia. I will now read it to you. This is the Wikipedia definition of the concept of critical theory. Here we go. I'll try not to gag. 
Critical theory is a social philosophy pertaining to the reflective assessment and critique of society and culture in order to reveal and challenge power structures. Within origins of sociology as well as in literary criticism, it argues that the social problems are influenced and created more by societal structures and cultural assumptions than by individual and psychological factors. Maintaining that ideology is the principal obstacle to human liberation, critical theory was established as a school of thought primarily by the Frankfurt School. Theoreticians? 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 Herbert Marcuse, Theodore Ardoro, Walter Benjamin, Eric Fromm, and Max Horkenheimer. Horkenheimer? Horkheimer. I probably didn't read their names right, and I don't care. The latter sociologist described a theory as critical insofar as it seeks to, quote-unquote, to liberate human beings from the circumstances that enslave them. Blah, 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 blah. <coughs> Bullshit. Basically, let me put that into normal language for you. It's debunk everything. Debunk everything. Everything that you think you know is crap. It's the philosophy of the sneering critic. It's the tippy-nose, over-educated know-it-alls. They know all the truth. And that truth is that there is no truth. Everything is interpreted through the narrow lens of power. Who has the power? Who is the power in this structure? And when you boil that all down, it's... Basically, they're saying, let us really smart individuals figure everything out for you poor, dumb people because everything you think you know, we can debunk. It's all mythology, little people. Just listen to us. Do as you're told. This is the root of all this madness that we see in the world right now. This, all this race stuff, all this tearing down of statues and burning of books and changing of words and men and women are the same and, and all cultures are equal and there is no good and there is no bad and don't you judge and the hatred of anything in the West and unfortunately the way it's looking like the hatred of anything white and I mean they're making that one pretty plain talking about getting rid of whiteness and all this stuff. I mean, good grief. It's as if these people, they are so desperate. I mean, they think they've been fighting against, uh, against uh, racial uh, uh, people who are actual racists and believe in, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Believing in the, the uh, master race type stuff. They're desperate to find those kind of people. So it seems like they're determined to make them. I don't know. It's going really weird, and the only thing I can think of is that these people do not read history, and the ones that do read history, and they're going to push this idea of critical theory, and I mean, it, it flows into everything. I mean, there's critical race theory, there's critical uh, gender theory, there's critical this theory, there's critical that theory. It's just, it's, it's permeated like a poison. I mean, this is the pus that's poisoning our entire society, is this concept of critical theory. And it's been taught, it's been pushed, it's been propagandized, and it's been shouted about for over 60 years now. I mean, well, it's just there, and it, it doesn't seem to want to leave. Like I said, it's like a turd that won't flush. 
as a culture by allowing this and by allowing this garbage to be taught, even as a theory. I mean, I guess I don't care if somebody teaches it as a, as a theory, but there needs to be voices out there saying, you guys are so full of manure. But as a culture, we've sown the wind and we're now reaping the whirlwind. By the way, to all these people that want to debunk everything and see through everything and, and stick their nose in the air and go, oh, you're so unsophisticated because anybody knows that that thing that you think you know is just so wrong. I can see right through it. I can debunk it in a second, which is, like I said, that's what critical theory is all about, debunking everything that we that has built Western society. Well, if you can debunk everything and you can see through everything, it just makes you blind because really, in the end, if you see through everything, then that means that everything is transparent to you. And when everything becomes transparent, then you are blind. Okay, this part of the enemy patrol I always like to give. It's our third and final step here. Some practical steps, some things you can actually do. <clears throat> and I always start off with this little diatribe given to me when I was a child. And it goes like this. Turn that damn boob tube off and get outside and do something. Go out and get the stink blowed off you. You're not going to learn nothing watching that thing. This keeps up. We're going to have a country full of people with wide, soft asses and even softer heads. So there you go. There's my diatribe for turning off your devices, getting out and getting some exercise. Go for a walk, lift something heavy, do something, move your body, find some nature, go out, find some trees, find some bodies of water, go see how the real world works and accomplish something. Speaking of that, how's your plant growing? Um, I don't know if it was a podcast or two podcasts ago I talked about planting a seed, no matter how small, in a pot, no matter how small, and making it grow. So how's that going? How's your crops? <laughs> anyway, I also said uh, to clean up the area where it grows. Are you keeping that decluttered? Anyway, if you want to know what that was all about, you'll have to go back and listen to that podcast. I should have I should have uh, written in my notes which one it was. I said I don't remember if it was podcast eight or podcast nine. Anyway, so let's move along here. What are we doing today? Well, considering I've talked about it now and I mentioned that that lovely critical theory came from the Frankfurt School. I think maybe I'm going to give you his homework to learn about the Frankfurt School. The what, who, when, where, and most importantly, why of the Frankfurt School. What was that all about? Look it up. Go look it up wherever. Look it up the ones that figure it was the best thing since sliced bread and look up the ones that say it was the worst thing that ever happened to the country. Read about both. Decide for yourself. Decide if you think that this is a really good theory or not. Get into some history. And that's what this one's about. 
It is the beginner's guide to the war in the fourth dimension. So that's what episode 10 has been about. We may as well start into it and learn a little chunk of history. Second part is more practical. Well, maybe you'll think it's more practical. I don't know. Make something. Go build something. Build a birdhouse. Draw a picture. Fold an origami dragon. Glue some macaroni on a can and put some pencils in it. Just make something with your hands. Create something. I mean, the one time I had you plant a seed and getting something to grow, that's like coaxing something along. This is more like creating something out of nothing. So do something, do anything. But you know what? I made it sound kind of flippant when I said glue some macaroni on a can to put your pencils in. But, you know, do a good job. If that's what you're going to do is put glue on a can and glue macaroni on it, I, I will not fault you for that, but do a good job. Make a pattern. Do something. Make it, make it beautiful. Do it so that when you stand back and you look at it when you're done, you've put some effort into it and you're proud of it. Then stand back and say to yourself out loud, I built that. I did a good job. So whatever you do, make sure that you do it to such a degree that you don't look like a complete, complete idiot to others or yourself when you stand back and say out loud, I built that and I did a good job. Now, maybe you're not feeling creative. Maybe you're a little down in the dumps. Well, look around where you live. Is it dirty? Is it messy? Then pick the one thing that bothers you the most. Is it a filthy bathroom or a dirty kitchen? Is it some piled laundry? What's been bugging at you and picking at you and it's like making you feel blah? Well, pick it and do it. Just get through it. However you get through it, scrub, soak, wash, clean, declutter, fix it. Then stand back and say, I did that and I made the world just a little bit better even if it's just a small part of it, even if it's just my world, I made it better, and now I feel better. This is how you navigate this adventure called life. This is how you keep your head above water and swim toward land. Every day, you try and make things a little bit better. Make yourself a little bit smarter. Make yourself a little bit stronger. Make yourself a little bit wiser. This is not a motivational poster. I've seen motivation posters and I've had them, I've worked in places where they put them up on the walls and they make me gag. This is more important than that. This is not just a motivational poster. This is something that you actually have to do and you don't need pictures of puppies and some inspiring words underneath to make you do it. You just do it because that's what people do. I know sometimes you gotta find that cave or that island or that fire where you can regroup and rest. I know that you can't always be go, 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 always doing something, always making... I, I understand that. I'm not trying to put pressure on. But just realize that you can't stop and sit down and whine and find blame and excuses and take a bunch of time to feel sorry for yourself. You have to keep going. You have to look up. You have to believe in something bigger than yourself. 
You have to believe in goodness. You have to shun evil. And you got to keep an edge on your knife. You got to keep your matches dry. Till we meet again. Just remember, life is a one-time adventure. And you have to learn to live it that way. So, vea con Dios. Eh?